Hey, so how's it going? You know, it's going. I am like um, the catch-all for people's weird fucking messages today. Some random person I know on Facebook just sent me a message that says, I have the hookups on tattoos for $20. I don't know that I trust a $20 tattoo. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I was like, thanks, I guess. I'm good. I'm good on tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, I'm planning mine, but I don't think I want your friend's $20 tattoo. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, well, I have 25 days, 18 hours, 55 minutes, and 9 seconds. So I'm no longer a teacher in a public school. Braggart. And Braggart. I am... A st- I'm so pumped. It's also super bittersweet, but I've already like started packing my classroom. And um, I will say that having moved classrooms last summer and like culling down stuff, because that's what you do in a move means that Mm -hmm. I don't have 10 years worth of stuff to pack up. I just have five years worth of stuff, you know? Yeah. And I've already started like giving shit away. Like it is, I'm like that grieving process where you just like push it out of your house. That's what I'm doing. Yep. It's like a bad breakup. Well, Well, I watched this movie and I'm going to be real honest. I don't know who I hate in this movie. I'm going to be honest. I don't know who I hate in the real case. It's very ambiguous. So, oh Mm -hmm. good. Is the case actually ambiguous? I was, I was afraid that it wasn't and they were like spinning it and I was like, oh shit. No, the case is ambiguous. However, I'm like, she was innocent. You did get to watch Sarah Paxton, who is my favorite, most ambiguous, like most like middle of the road actress who's ever existed. She looks like Reese Witherspoon's daughter. Okay, I think of her as great value Reese Witherspoon, so I'll take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's like the uh, poor man's Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, she was. I remember she was in fact a very a, close facsimile, like her daughter. Yeah, that's true. Um, but so, um, we just spent an hour yelling on Patreon, so we don't actually have a whole lot of negative news to open with today. You guys are all welcome. Yeah. If you want to join our Patreon though, definitely go do that. Patreon.com slash lifetime sentence and listen to us yell about Josh Duggar. Yes. But speaking of, speaking of, um, joining us anywhere, our Discord server went live last week, mm-hmm. and so if you did not, if you do not follow us on Facebook, uh, head on over to our Facebook. Also, check our Twitter. I will have it in a pinned tweet there. Um, uh, you can find the link to join our Discord. And yeah. if you're one of our patrons and you haven't been on this week and you haven't seen the post, um, patrons have a special patron patron only channel where we will hang out and uh, be more accessible. That's also where we'll post events like um, more viewing parties, because as the school year wraps up and I don't have to wake up at five in the morning anymore, we will uh, do that. Cause last year I had so much fun watching um, preppers. Do say preppers? Ugh, preppers. That's such a good show. Um, and things like that so that is going to start back up on a kind of a more regular basis and i know that you Mm -hmm. mentioned after december that you will have even more free time and so 
Um, also, announcements at the top. We have new merch, a new shop, a new shirt dropped in our shop this week. Uh, and we are working on new designs again. Um, so it has been a couple of weeks of, um, behind the scenes. I mean, we took last week off from recording, but we did not take last week off. No, that is accurate. So, and, um, I'm just going to blame all this productivity in my life, Aaron, on the large amounts of Captain Morgan I've consumed in the past two weeks. You were <laughs> in a way last night. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. But I was not even as messed up as I had gotten the week before. So, because I guess since we're now, because we didn't record last week, I went to Pete's Piano Bar in Fort Worth last week. <laughs> and uh, I got real messed up. You sent us some really great Snapchats. I believe night. I sent you one that said, I'm vaccinated and drunk, motherfuckers. Yes, you did. <laughs> so. Um, you did. You sent us one of you singing. Everything. Oh, what were you singing? It was really funny. Oh, damn. Oh, well. I hope you all love that story. <laughs> It, it was a good one. It had a beginning. Is this recording picking again. me up? Yes. Okay, because my line on Zencaster's flat, so. Uh, it just hates you. Oh, that's fine. A lot um, of people hate oh, me. Can get in line. By the way, this mm-hmm. is Lifetime Sentence. Yes. And uh, I'm Paul. I'm Erin. And this week, I watched Blue-Eyed Butcher. Which is a case I had not heard of. And then I saw it in like a best worst lifetime movies you have to watch countdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, Aaron, watch this now. So I hope you enjoyed it. I know nothing about I, the movie. I did actually. Um, I did like the movie. It was interesting. It was kind of funny. I mean, I mean, not because of the case, because of lifetime. Um Right. Yeah, so this movie, as you already said, stars Sarah Paxton. She plays Susan. She's from The Innkeepers, Aquamarine, Last House on the Left, and Good Girls. She also replaced, did you watch the Disney original movies, Halloween Town? Or like, are you familiar with them? Mm-hmm. She yeah. replaced in the last one, just kind of unceremoniously, replaced Kimberly J. Brown as the lead, and nobody knows why. And so that's kind of unforgivable. And like, so that's why we don't stand Sarah Paxton. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think it was her fault, but no, I also feel like she was in a really shitty lifetime movie. Whenever I was in college, that was not this, but it was one of those, like, I hate my mom. And now I'm bulimic. It's back when they had the titles that were like, just the plot of the movie. Um, the look on your face says everything I need to know. But also, mm-hmm. um, I think she was a member of the Midnight Society in um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, interesting. It also starred Justin Bruning. He plays Jeff. Um, I know him from Grey's Anatomy. 
Um, he played the par- the paramedic that April left at the altar to Mary Jackson in season nine, I think. Um, she he's also from Good Behavior, Sweet Magnolias, and Ringer. Um, okay. It stars an old podcast favorite, Miss Lisa Edelstein. She's the um, quote unquote high class call girl from the West Wing. Oh, yeah, 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 she yeah. Was okay. Also in Date with Darkness that we covered before on this show. Yeah. Um, and Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And then finally, okay. we have Erin Cahill. And you will see in my notes where I go, oh my God, that's Erin Cahill. I love her because I do. I love Erin Cahill. Um, she plays the sister. Um, she played uh, Ted Mosby's sister in How I Met Your Mother, which is funny because the guy that plays Jeff's dad. Um, in this movie, pl- also played Ted's dad. Oh, how funny. In How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Um, she is also from Random Acts of Christmas, Love, Fallen Order, A Timeless Christmas, The Secret Ingredient, and Last Vermont Christmas. All of which are on Hallmark, except for Random Acts of Christmas, which is on Lifetime. <clears throat> we open on a lady putting on makeup while having flashbacks of murdering someone. So this is already going great. Great. She asks her sister if she looks okay, and she's like, oh, you look nice. We're at court. Yeah, great. Sorry. That movie that Sarah Paxton was in, I had to find because it was going to bug me. The Party Never Stops, Diary of a Binge Drinker. Told you it's one of those where the title just tells you what's going to happen. (laughs) The Aaron Story. There's like a scene where it just zooms in on her mom crying and she's like, you're going to ruin your life if you don't stop drinking. And she's like, but I don't drink mom. And she's like, clearly drunk. Sarah and I watched this in college and we were like, what did they pay people to be in this movie? Like, that is so funny. This is a real thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So this girl's name is Susan. And the prosecutor says that by the end of this, we'll know that Susan murdered her husband instead of divorcing him because she is a monster. We flash back to five years earlier. Susan is laying on a beach watching people play volleyball. So all of her friends are like Seuss, which I guess is what they call her. Grab a wine cooler. We're going in. A wine cooler. Okay, great. Love it. (laughs) Um, So they all walk over to the guys playing volleyball and she meets Jeff who invites her to play. And her friends all encourage her. And I go, oh, Aaron Cahill is in this movie. I love her. (laughs) Um, And she plays uh, Susan's older sister who encourages her to play. And she goes, um, Jeff introduces himself as Jeff Wright. And so Aaron Cahill is like, you just met Mr. Wright. Go. And like pushes her off to join the game. (laughs) Jeff teaches her how to serve while her friends cheer her on. And later she's talking to him about how she's a church leader and a nursing student by day and a stripper by nighttime. Great. Okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you know, whatever. Anytime Um, they set it up as a, as a talking point in a lifetime movie though, someone's going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the prosecutor slut shames her a lot, which is not cool um, because sex work is work. So fucking deal with it. Um, she and Jeff are making out on the beach and she says, 
she wants to go home, but he pressures her, he pressures her for sex anyway. She stops him and pushes him off her. And he says, I swear, pretty lady, you're going to be the death of me. Which is correct. So, um, <laughs> um, back in the courtroom, Seuss is testifying about how much she loves Jeff. Um, Jeff is at a strip club talking to his buddies about marriage. I like, like you do. That's mm-hmm. where I talk. That's where I get my deepest talks about marriage. Um, people come to me for marriage advice while I'm getting a lap dance. Oh yeah. They were actively so, getting lap dances, of course. Yeah. So. I mean, Lifetime really nailed it. Um, <laughs> so Jeff calls Susan and asks her on, a, on an at-home date, you know, for some smexy time since they haven't done it yet. He buys flowers and he lights candles and he puts on a new shirt that he forgets to take the tag off of. So she's all impressed and they have some sexy time. And then he's like, I love you. And then he pulls out a joint and he's like, do you care if I smoke this? And she's like, nah. So. Okay. I was like, that's so random, but we'll come back to it. Um, Okay. So, uh uh-oh, Susan gets pregnant. Um, the prosecutor accuses her of trying to trap Jeff with her pregnancy. And I just wrote, oh, this is so problematic. Um, um, I would like to. Does anybody else know that it actually takes two parties? Oh, literally, that's my next line. Oh, okay, um, great. Jeff is surprised, but says he's not mad. And I wrote, good, you're literally there when the baby was made, my guy. Like, right, right. <laughs> like, it was the best 48 seconds of your life to pump John. I bet it was. Um, he tells her he loves her and wants to be with her and have kids someday. And then he decides that day is now and he proposes. So, drink! She Great. says yes. And I bet they post something really fucking stupid on Instagram. Oh, man. I bet it says the word forever. Like I've waited, I've waited forever for you to be my forever. (laughs) Oh God. So we cut to the wedding. She has yellow bridesmaids dresses, which are a choice that was made here. Um, Sarah had yellow bridesmaid dresses. I remember that. My mom had yellow bridesmaid dresses. Not cute. Um, Also, it wasn't like, you could pick the yellow that was best for your skin. So it wasn't like oh, wash nice. yourself out. Like, oh, my mom's were like pale yellow. And then her bridesmaids wore daisy flower crowns with ribbons on them. Oh, did they get married outside? And was your name originally sunshine? <laughs> what you don't know is I'm really the baby that I posted in our discord and made fun of the name. <laughs> Y'all, I'm, we're terrible people. <laughs> um, we made fun of the name, not the baby. To clarify, yeah, no, the, the, the baby's adorable. We make fun of the parents who name their children stupid things. Yes, the baby's adorable, but the name. Hold on, I'm gonna find it now. Oh, I'm gonna find what I say it is. <laughs> uh. Summer, summer, winter, moon, sunshine, honey, agave, nectar. <laughs> That's right. 
Oh, goodness. Um, they have their reception at a seafood restaurant. Um, and I just want to know why Hallmark has never made a series called Marrying Mr. Right with a W. Because that shit's gold. Right? Uh, Susan and Jeff have sex in the kitchen at the reception. Respect. Um, so now the prosecutor is holding up a knife and asks her what she did with it. And she's like, oh, I stabbed Jeff with it. And I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Susan and Jeff, back in the past, bring home a darling little six-month-old newborn. Um, and his name is Andrew. Uh, Susan and the neighborhood moms push their babies around in sundresses and heels. It's just like Stepford Wives. Um, Great. Jeff's boss takes him to a strip club to celebrate his promotion. This makes Jeff late for a potluck that Susan is having. And he's like, he calls her and he's like, oh no, I'm stuck at a bar. Tell everyone I said hi. And then his boss buys him a lap dance from three girls. And I have no issues with strip clubs, but I do have issues with lying about it to your partner. Right. Not cool. Um, When he gets home, she asks what bar they went to. And he was like, let's not do this. I was at a bar with clients and maybe you shouldn't be such a fucking bitch all the time. And then he launches into a screaming tirade about how he has nothing to come home to, which is why he's always out. He kicks a toy and punches the refrigerator. Then he apologizes and says, maybe he can't do this and be a parent. And she gets on her knees and says, she'll be better. And wow, this is a super toxic relationship. Yep. Also, she chooses this moment to tell him that she's pregnant again. Great. I mean, it was the perfect time. Right. Yeah. We're adding another weeder to the pack. No! Uh oh. White people are canceled. White people are the worst. You know that that is a family that named that son. Brayden with eight extra vowels that make no (laughs) sense. Totally. Oh, God. Um, um, They have a baby boy and they name him Cody. The attorney talks about sex and whether it was forced or unforced. And she says both. And then we get a rape scene, which I'm just going to bloop, bloop right over. Um, So Jeff is going to get a promotion and announces that... um, that at a family picnic and um Susan's like oh my gosh that's great um I've been thinking about going back to school and like now's the best time I'm gonna go to nursing school um Jeff is not happy about it he grabs her by the neck in a public place and tells her that she's going to take care of the house the kids and him and not go to school and quote unquote learn how to change bedpans great Now the court is talking about nunchucks that were found under the bed that Jeff supposedly kept to bash her head in. Like you oh. do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so Jeff is complaining to his boss about his marriage and his boss is like, can you stop being a little bitch and ruining our gym time and just like work things out with your wife? Because that's what couples do, which is not great advice. Right. But, okay. Yeah. Um, not a fan. So Jeff rushes home and Susan isn't there. She's at her mom's house talking to her family about Jeff hitting her. He barges in with the darlings and the sweeties and saying he wants his wife back and he made a mistake, but he's sorry. So she goes back with him and he tells her not to ever do that again because they're a family. And that would be really sweet if he wasn't like 
pushing her against the wall and choking her while he said it, you know. Right. There's a time and place for choking, and that's not it. Right. Um, neighbors. Okay, so her neighbors on the stand talking about how controlling Jeff was and how immaculate the house always was. The neighbor describes the relationship as a master-slave type relationship, but I don't think she means in the fun way. So that's yeah. not good. So we see Susan shopping, cleaning, running, and finding a lot of past due bills. Jeff comes home drunk, and when she confronts him about it, he asks her, he's like, oh, what are you trying to say? So they get in a fight. Of course. He tells her to go to bed because he doesn't want to sleep with her anyway. He's charming. I'm just like done. Him. I'm just done. I'm super attracted to him, so... um. The prosecutor asks the judge to have Susan control herself with all the crying in the courtroom. And so the judge leans over and he's like, hey, um, little Miss Sunshine, the big, mean, scary prosecutor lady wants you to not cry so much. Can you do that for me? I am so, so sorry to ask Fuck you off. that because I think you're doing a wonderful job, but you know how women are. Maybe she's on her period or something. Uh I fuck everybody. So Susan goes to the grocery store and the card gets declined. So she pays with cash and leaves behind some stuff for the baby. So she can have a romantic night with Jeff that he doesn't even show up for. Of course. When he does come home, he takes a minute to smoke some pot and snort some cocaine in the driveway before he goes inside. Great. Like you do after a long, hard day. Uh-huh. Um, I, every day I do. Well, I work from home, but I do run downstairs um, when I'm done and like snort some cocaine in my car and then run back upstairs. Oh, right. That's right. A cool experience, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, he goes inside and his son runs up to him to play and Jeff calls him a sissy and says he needs to toughen up. And then he punches the kid in the face. Casual. Okay. I was like, that's fucking aggressive, man. Um, then he tells Susan that she looks like a whore. And that he already ate. He grabs her by the face and like smudges her lipstick across her face. And he tells her not to bother coming to bed unless she wants to act like a real wife. I don't know why you act like these things are so egregious. This just sounds like a normal day in paradise. Yeah. Um, So the prosecutor says... Uh, what she what should have been a romantic night turned into a bloodbath, and we see Susan go up to the bedroom and get undressed and wash her face. She turns around and asks a sleeping Jeff if she looks pretty now, and then closes the bedroom door to stab him to death, which I don't know what actually happened, but if he really punched his kid in the face and then called his wife a whore, um, that's not a good look right before you get murdered. Right. Like, I'm not saying he should have been murdered, because that's bad, but... Like, also, like, he wasn't exactly a saint. Right. So. Right. She should have called the cops after him punching his kid in the face. Because he's a white guy, they would have just taken her to jail to cool off. Um, so the prosecutor brings in the actual bed and mattress from the crime scene to reenact what she thinks happened. Neither the defense attorney nor the judge are particularly into this. Um, so we flash back again and Susan ties up a sleeping Jeff with neckties, which is a really good way to ruin a necktie. Actually, I had an ex-boyfriend really like, let me have it once over that. Um, 
Jeff wakes up and tells her to untie him. She says no and then pours candle wax on him. And then she climbs on top of him and stabs him to death while screaming, leave me alone. Um, the autopsy report shows that she stabbed him in the eye, which, oh. No. Um, finally, she stops stabbing him when one of her kids wakes up. She puts him back to bed, but then she goes and gets another knife from the kitchen and goes back to the bedroom because she didn't want to die. So she just kept stabbing him. Well, yeah, the first one was used up. You know, like, every knife only has 98 stabs in it. Yeah. Well, considering she stabbed this man 193 times. Yeah, well. (laughs) And I just wrote here, oh, I spy a Texas flag. Of course this is in Texas. (laughs) I was waiting for you to get to that. Yep. Susan tells the prosecutor that stabbing him was her sheer will to live. Um, And so back in the flashback, she drags him onto the floor and then through the house into the backyard where she buries him. How did none of that wake her kids up? Mm, Maybe they had white noise machine on. Maybe. So then she takes a shower. She tells the courtroom that she was still afraid that he was going to get up and come get her from the front yard where she buried his body. She calls Jeff's mother to say that they'd had a fight and he was on drugs and hit Andrew and then he left. Um, So then she just sits outside next to the little makeshift grave um, like he was still going to get up. The next morning, she dresses up like a Stepford and goes to the grocery store to get more potting soil, you know. Okay. Um, I don't understand the acting choice to carry the baby instead of put him in the shopping cart. She does this multiple times, though, so I know it was a choice. Right. The baby goes in the cart. That's why there's little leg holes. Um, Maybe the baby wouldn't quit screaming and they couldn't afford to get a second actor baby. They were like, this one's not professional enough. Just hold him. (laughs) Just just fuck it. Just hold the baby. God damn it. Fucking babies. (laughs) Um, Last time I hired an unprofessional fucking goddamn uncredentialed baby. (laughs) (laughs) This baby is not getting his SAG card. (laughs) I'm blacklisting this baby. (laughs) Um, So she takes the kids to her mom's house and then dumps like approximately 19 tons of potting soil on top of the grave. Um, Then she cleans the house. She's going to put some flowers. Yeah. She cleans the house and rips or paints the walls, rips up the carpets, dumps bleach everywhere dumps out the bloody mattress and i was like someone's gonna see that and have questions right (laughs) no (laughs) um so jeff's boss calls asking after him and she answers and says that he left but she's all robotic and weird she carries the knife around the house with her too which is kind of creepy um jeff's mom calls to check on jeff and she's um susan tells her that he came back but then he left again um, and she had to replace the carpet because he threw bleach on it, which is a okay, really good that story. Out. Yeah. So I hate on- whenever I have done coke in my car and then I run yeah. in and get mad at my wife and just throw bleach everywhere and then disappear <laughs> like a thief in the night. If I had a dollar <laughs> for every time I've done that, buy some more coke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, she um so she puts on yet another sundress and takes all the bloody stuff to the um to the dumpster 
And then she goes to the police station to ask for a restraining order against Jeff. Um, and then the dog digs up Jeff's body in the backyard. Oops. <laughs> I don't she mean has to a laugh, f- but like, oops. She has a freaky flashback in her car in the driveway. Um, she tells her mom that she thinks she did something awful. And her mom's like, why? What happened? And she's like, I think I killed Jeff. So they call her an attorney who comes to her house. And she's like, hi, thank you for coming to my house. Please come see the crime scene in my bedroom and the body I have buried in the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) The dog is chewing on Jeff's hand. (laughs) She's like, here's a charcuterie board. Also, Tyson has definitely dug up my husband by now. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Do you want to start with the Brie or with the husband? Just let me know. So then, like, the the lawyer is like, uh, is that a dead bot? Like, he's like, what the fuck? And um, she's like, oh, God, when Jeff gets home, he's going to be so mad. The house is a mess. Uh-uh. Oh, God. He takes her to the psych ward and says that she cannot speak to anyone without him present. And then he's going to go have a chat with the police. And she's like, okay, when can my boys come visit me? God. So the lawyer goes to the cops and says, and he's like, hey, I can't say anything else without breaking privilege, but there's probably a body at this address. You should probably like go look at it. Just saying. Okay, bye. There's totes a dead body. I don't know who's it is or is it neighborhood. Um, So back at the hospital, Susan has the full on crazy eyes and she's telling the doctor that Jeff's going to be so mad and he's going to kill her. And I don't know what to believe. I don't, I don't know what the real story is here. It's so bizarre. And Oh, this is when they announced that it's in Sci-Fair. And I was like, of course this is in Sci-Fair. Of Of course course it's in Sci-Fair. Right. (laughs) Jeff's parents find out about the murder on the news, which is not okay. Um, that's really bad. Apparently, yeah. Jeff had a record, including assault. Okay. Uh, oh, surprise. So the lawyer goes to see Susan in the hospital, and she finally remembers, maybe, that Jeff is dead. The psychiatrist says she has really bad PTSD and was in a dissociative state, and that she's the poster child for batter women syndrome. Um, the prosecutor over in her office decides to prosecute. I don't know why that was a decision that needed to be made. Like he was clearly murdered. They have to prosecute even if they're going to do insanity. Right. (laughs) Um, no, we're just going to let this one slide. It is sci-fair. We get three free passes a year. Yeah. Anyway. So Susan gets out of jail on bail and gets mobbed by reporters. The prosecutor thinks it's all an act and, and wants to find a motive. And oh god, Nancy Grace is here. Oh good. Is it the real Nancy Grace just screaming? Mm-hmm. Yes. She does in the blue-eyed butcher. So thanks for that, Nancy Grace. Um Susan goes home and has a garage sale. Well, why, why wouldn't not? you? Her lawyer comes and shuts it down, saying that she can't be doing that. And he tells her that the media is crass and mean, duh. And now we're back to the beginning of the trial. So apparently the motive that they come up with is a $200,000 life insurance policy, which apparently Jeff says to her, if I die, you'll be a very rich lady, which is, is 200,000 more money than I think it is. I don't, it's not a lot of money. No. 
Not at all. Like, not motive for murder money. Sorry. Not in sci-fair. As I say, not sci-fair at all. No. Um, we go back through the reenactment. I really think Lifetime just likes the fact that they got to tie someone to a bed in a courtroom. <laughs> They're like, yes, let's see this again. They're Another like, we shot. have to use all this footage. All of it. Um, One of the PAs is like, um, sir... Sir, are you touching yourself while you're filming this? Give me a goddamn coffee. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, uh, so Susan's lawyer ends up not being able to put the psychiatrist on the stand because Susan told him a conflicting story about what happened with Jeff. So Susan decides to testify in her own defense. The prosecutor really goes after her, of course. And so I guess the prosecutor's theory is that she lured Jeff in to be tied to the bed, like saying it was going to be smexy time and then stabbed him instead. Okay. I don't know what happened. So I don't even know who to roast in this situation. They all kind of right. seem like garbage. Too. So everybody's right. garbage. The end. Um, so the jury goes out to deliberate, deliberate and everyone kind of obsesses over what's going to happen. They wait a while and then go back to court. Um, she's found guilty and gets 25 years. They zoom in on a creepy looking dude sitting in the back of the courtroom. Um, and they take Susan away to prison. In prison, Susan's putting on very red, li- very red lipstick and smiling at herself in the mirror. Do, My do guess was come, her baseline. Hmm? Do they ever come back to the creepy looking guy or is that? Okay. My guess was that it was for Dateline, but it wasn't. It was for the creepy looking dude. He's an attorney and he doesn't think Susan got a fair trial. Oh, okay. He wants to ask her a bunch of questions. And she's just like, she like just bats her eyelashes. She's like, oh, I hope you like me. What? So Susan Wright's sentence was reduced by five years after a successful appeal. She will be eligible for parole in 2014. So since that was seven years ago, I'm hoping you can tell us more about that. The end. All right. That actually is a pretty cut and dry movie as Lifetime goes. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't. I mean, there was a lot of a, an assistant district attorney being tied to a bed in a courtroom. Yeah, and a bloody mattress. That's in a fact, lot of footage of that. Okay, so I have ten pages of notes, and seven pages are just the ADA tied to a bed. So, like, we're good. You've covered it excellent. All. <laughs> um, oh, um, just to clarify, I misspoke. Rachel Blanchard was a member of the Midnight Society, not Sarah Paxton. Um, I got my blonde kind of generic actresses confused. I know. Cher Horowitz did not, from the TV show, not the movie, did not go through all that for me to confuse her with Sarah Paxton. It's true. All right. So um, I read Texas Monthly. There was an article called 193 by Skip Hollinsworth. The, the great Skip Hollinsworth, who um, I actually saw the last time I went to my favorite murder live show. Uh, he was the guest speaker. Um, and then Wikipedia, I read the article about Susan Wright. And then Snapped Season 1, Episode 9 is about Susan Wright as well. Um, and so that those are my main three sources. So... Susan Lucille Wright was born on April 24th, 1976 in Houston, Texas. Um, She was quiet and shy in high school, and she was often described as a homebody. 
She preferred nights in with her mom, watching movies on the couch, over going out with her friends. Um, she was just an average student in high school, making C's in most of her classes. Um, C's get degrees. Yeah. Um, and then she had a... <laughs> I was just, I guess, transcribing Skip Hollinsworth's uh, article, but... I was blindly transcribing. So I wrote, she had a few boyfriends and she told me that she did what she could to please them. And I was like, did I, did I incorporate myself into this interview for a minute? Cause I forgot that Skip opened it in first person. And I was like, mm. where the hell did I get this? <laughs> um, so she said, quote, I looked for attention from boys. And so she would go out of her way to try to get boys attention um, when one boyfriend criticized her look, she said she went on a diet and dropped 19 pounds um, in her senior year, just after she turned 18. Uh, one of her boyfriends encouraged her to um, go work at a topless bar. So she did. Um, and she, her mother and sister then said that she they were utterly disturbed. And it's like, I mean, it's not like she killed someone that time. I mean, but she <laughs> wait for it. Right. Um, so she worked uh, at a bar called the Gold Cup. Um, after two months of dancing, she quit, but she stayed on for several more months as a waitress. Um, quote, I thought I would like the attention to maybe feel better about myself, but I was never comfortable. The money wasn't worth it, she said. In 1997, while on a trip with some friends to Galveston, she met 28-year-old Jeff Wright. She was 21 at the time, and despite their seven-year age gap, they began dating. He brought her flowers, and he took her to nice restaurants and nightclubs. Um, and not long after they met, he told her that he loved her. Quote, he was very sweet and very handsome with beautiful brown eyes. He met my parents and told them about his dream of owning his own carpeting, carpeting and flooring business. I thought he was wonderful. Um, so in February 1998, she became pregnant. According to Susan, Jeffrey told her that he would be, quote, okay if she had an abortion. Um, which I think he meant to say, like, I'm supportive, but... I were like, I will support you, but just like, I'm okay if you get it. Sounds like, well, I'm so glad she was put here for your approval, sir. Yeah. Um, she was working at an orthodontist office. And um, so then, like all trusting relationships, he demanded that she... Now, this is, of course, according to her testimony, because that's the only first-hand experience we have at this point. Um, right. But according to her testimony, he demanded that she give her paychecks to him. So, um, so they married in October in a small ceremony. And that night they had their wedding night dinner. And you said it was a seafood restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was an Outback Steakhouse. No way. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and then one month later, their son Bradley was born, misspelled. They spelled his name B-R-A-D-L-Y. And at that point, fucking wait, Su I swear to God. 
<laughs> At that point, Susan said Jeffrey, quote, became a totally and completely different person. Um, she said that he angrily began calling her a fat ass for having gained so much weight during the pregnancy. He got angrier when she told him that she'd been diagnosed with postpartum depression. He wouldn't let her take her, the antidepressants that the doctor had prescribed. Quote, he said it wasn't rocket science what women did and that I just needed to suck it up and do my job. Well, fuck that. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, so Jeffrey wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom, like almost literally. She could make quick trips to the grocery store and she could visit her mother, but he allowed her to be gone only for an hour and a half a day. One day she asked if she could take courses at what? a junior college and he refused. Um, when she did visit the campus one night to try to enroll in an internet course, he was infuriated, accusing her of going there to cheat on him and calling her a nasty whore. And you know that old sign up for English 101 so you can have an affair with Hemingway. We've totally. all done it. Every, oh, everyone does 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing. So... <laughs> so um, Susan said that she had no idea at that point. She'd had no idea that Jeffrey had pleaded guilty in 1996 to a felony drug possession charge that he'd been placed on probation. Um, but she began to worry about his drug use. She said that he smoked marijuana almost every afternoon when he came home from work and that after getting high, he would pick up Bradley and toss him in the air and catch him. I'm, Fail to see a huge issue here, but we'll mm -hmm. see. When she told Jeffrey one night that she was not comfortable with the way he played with Bradley, quote, he told me that I didn't have the right to tell him when or how he would pick up his son, and he came at me. He threw me against the wall and shook me by my arms as hard as he could, and he began to punch me in the chest over and over again. So Great. Wright told the... That's wonderful. Right. So Susan told the jury that the physical abuse only escalated after they moved into their patio home in April of 1999. Anything would set him off. If there was a problem with his paycheck, if a customer upset him, if the electricity bill was too high, if the house wasn't spotless, if dinner was bad, if Bradley was too loud. And whenever Jeffrey got mad, she told the jury, quote, he wanted to make somebody hurt. She said that he hit Great. or kicked her repeatedly in the chest, in the stomach, and in the back and legs. Um, when visits to his parents in Austin didn't go as smoothly as he hoped, he would yell at her on the entire drive back to Houston. Quote, he would grab my shoulder and throw me up against the window. He would grab the back of my head and bash it against the dashboard because it was my fault. Great. She said that Jeffrey would even kick their 60 pound dog and occasionally throw him across the room. Nope. And then some of the people in the courtroom later morbidly joked that that's probably why the dog chewed up his body. Probably. Because <laughs> it wanted revenge. And I'm like, I'm down with this. Um, so Wright said that she didn't initially tell anyone in her family that she was being beaten. Quote, I was embarrassed and I felt like it was my fault. I felt if I could be perfect enough and he would always be happy, then everything would be okay. Um, 
And that is a typical response to to abusive situations that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uninternalized guilt. And so like that tracks. I'm aware. Yeah. I know you're aware, but um, just like so much of this, as you mentioned, like we don't know who we, we don't know the truth, but at least insofar as forensically looking at, at cases in the past, that tracks with historically what happens. Okay. Um, so she said, um, to keep her neighbors from suspecting abuse, she rarely went out of the house when she had visible, visible bu- bruises on her body. Um, she never considered going to a doctor or filing a police report. She feared that if she did, Jeffrey would become more violent. When one of the attorneys asked her why she didn't get a divorce, she replied, quote, he told me if I ever left him, he was going to kill me. It's not as simple as getting a divorce. When someone hurts you that bad and they tell you they're going to kill you, you just can't get up and leave. She said that she did make one attempt to move out in the summer of 1999 after Jeffrey had beaten her and then forced her to apologize for the attack. When he left for work, she called Cindy, um, a friend of hers, who soon arrived with a U-Haul and arrived in a U-Haul with her husband. They packed up Susan's and Bradley's things and drove to the home of, oh, sorry, Cindy was her sister. Um, okay. They drove to Susan and Cindy's parents' house. Okay. The next morning, Jeffrey called Susan and told her a moving van would be pulling up in front of the house to pick her up, that she needed to put all of her belongings in the van and come home. Otherwise, he would kill her and Bradley. So she did as she was told. Great. Um, so Susan became pregnant again in December of 2000, but she said she miscarried after Jeffrey kicked her in the stomach. Um, she said that he wouldn't let her go to the hospital because he didn't have enough money. So, um, there's no record, there's no medical record of that miscarriage or the abuse that would have led to it. Um, so she then became pregnant a third time. And gave birth to Kaylee, spelled K-A-I-L-Y, because they don't put enough vowels in any of these names. No! <laughs> in December in 2001. Please stop naming your kids dumb shit. Please. <laughs> Afterwards, she said she went through another bout of postpartum depression, which seemed to make Jeffrey angrier than ever. He also began to see other women through an internet dating service. Um, and Susan said that he wound up giving her herpes quote. He told me that if I get a better wife, he wouldn't need other women. He sucks. Yep. Um, by the fall of 2002, Jeffrey had changed jobs and he wasn't making much money. His behavior became even more erratic according to her later testimony. Um, One night, she said, he drunkenly stumbled into the house and peed all over Kaylee's bed. Ew. Then he brought an air rifle, which he told Susan he needed in order to keep the family in line and hit her with it. Great. And then I hate it. On another occasion, he threw bricks at her in the backyard. Um, and on New Year's Day 2003, he told Susan, Happy fucking New Year, bitch. This will be your last. Oh, that's so sweet. Which, yeah. Which, like, okay, so I would never 
I would never actually tell this to somebody, but like, why haven't I told that to somebody when I'm pissed off at them? I'm going to keep that one in my pocket for when I really need it. Well, you got to be pissed off on New Year's. On New Year's, right. Or just text it out of the blue to somebody that pissed me off seven years ago that I haven't talked to since. Just, just to let them know that I'm petty enough to still be thinking about them. Yeah. So two weeks later, on the morning of January 15th, 2003, Susan and her mother went to the Domestic Abuse Division of the Harris County Police Department. There, Susan told officers that her husband had been abusing her and abusing drugs for years. Things had come to a head two days earlier when she'd finally confronted him about his addiction two days earlier. Quote, I told him that I loved him, but that he really needed help. And I would stand by him if he got help. But if not, I was going to leave. And that's what Susan explained on Snapped. Um, like, that's what she told the police when she went in. Mm-hmm. Susan said that Jeffrey responded by running up to her, grabbing her wrists, slamming her into the wall and shaking her. Then he ran out of the house and hadn't been seen since. Concerned for Susan's safety, the deputy she met, uh, the deputy she met with rushed an arrest warrant through the DA's office. Mm -hmm. So friends and family became increasingly concerned about Jeffrey's disappearance His brother was interviewed on Snapped, and he noted how it was odd that Jeffrey didn't contact him and that his truck had never left the Wright's driveway. The people Hmm. he worked with were also concerned because Jeffrey liked work and he never missed out. Like he never, he never would have missed a day without calling in. And so just things weren't matching up. And so Mm -hmm. they were getting suspicious and they were also trying to report him missing and and try to get susan listed as a person of interest in his missing like isn't his missing status um but three days after susan met with officers um she called an attorney neil davis and asked him to come to her house where she admitted to stabbing her husband davis contacted the harris county district attorney's office to inform them a body was buried like you said that it seemed kind of vague in the movie right it was Mm -hmm. like i can't tell you a lot without violating privilege but there's a body that's there might be a body that could possibly be in this neighborhood that might maybe oh no he was like there's a body at this address you should probably go look at it yeah so it was a little more vague in the real thing but um he, he said I have a new client. They've confirmed the location of a body of the victim of a missing person. They've given me the location. I'm not involved except as a legal representation for my client. So I love that. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't like he went all shaggy. It wasn't me, but me. Uh, also, <laughs> um, so he gave the address of Susan and Jeffrey Wright's house and the police sprang into action. And then parentheses I wrote, I assume it's more likely they finished their game of solitaire on the computer and then like drink several cups of coffee and, you yeah. know, finished a conversation. They all went to the bathroom, told some racist jokes, made fun of a secretary. And then left. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, when the police got there, the master bedroom was of particular interest to them the bed had been disassembled the mattress and box springs had been moved the carpet had been cut out one of the walls had been freshly painted 
And outside of that bedroom, there was an area of just dirt. This wound up being the site of Jeffrey Wright's body. And then this is where part, like this is the part of Snapped where they showed the actual crime scene footage and like the body with no warning and like Snapped, what are you doing? And so that was season one. The later seasons, they don't do things nearly as gruesome like it's still a little egregious but there's at least a little bit more of a trigger warning before they go into that mm-hmm. yeah um so though susan was the top of the investigators list of suspects neil davis actually made it very difficult to get to her when the police were like we need to interview susan right away he was like oh she's being treated at an inpatient psychiatric facility and i not at liberty to discuss where she is um because mm-hmm. that's a violation of hipaa And so without a warrant, he didn't have to disclose the location. So he gave the investigators a run around as long as he could. And finally he was met with a warrant. um, And he was issued to bring Susan to the police station to be arrested. So he did. And well, and then I'm like, wait, so the way I read it is like, they told the attorney he had to go pick Susan up and drive her to the police department. And I'm like, so now they're even like outsourcing arrests. Like, how does this work? How do I, yeah, that's... How, how do I get paid to do literally nothing? I mean, they have it figured out over there. That's for sure. Um, so, um, he did. And Susan was kept in jail for just for the weekend. And then she was released on bail and into the care of Neil Davis, her attorney. Okay. So according to her testimony in court on January 13th, that was two days before she went to the police department to report the domestic abuse. Jeffrey came home from his boxing lesson and punched Bradley, their son in the face so hard that he fell back into a love seat. When Bradley began whimpering, Jeffrey called him a sissy, and that's when all hell broke loose. She stabbed him in a fit of rage and panicked, then buried his body. And this is where I want to say that all of the reportings talk about how, like, when police found him, there were just two stab wounds. And um, they were like, oh, okay, like, this looks like it could be self-defense. And then they rolled Mm -hmm. him over and they were like, oh, look, there's 191 more yikes oops that's a little that's a little much and then like the autopsy report was like and there were two different blades and so skip hollinsworth titled this article 193 because that's how many times she stabbed him and i was like skip you were kind of my hero for that (laughs) so um so susan's official statement was of course one of self-defense Well before the trial began, her defense began to lay the groundwork for a case of spousal abuse. They spent a lot of time slamming his character, but they knew that that wouldn't be enough, especially after the prosecution made their opening statements. Um, Because, as I mentioned, it it appeared Susan, Susan hadn't stabbed Jeff a couple of times, as the world had been led to believe she had stabbed him 193 times with two different knives so you know what don't be such a fucking dick no i'm i'm sorry he did not deserve to be stabbed to death but no what an asshole i don't like any of these people no not a single person there are no redeeming characters in this in this story bradley and kaylee we love yes, you. the kids totally absolutely so, the kids. 
Dr. Helen Smith, who was the forensic psychologist interviewed on this episode of Snapped, said that women kill for many different reasons, revenge being one of them, but that 193 times sounds like, quote, overkill. And I couldn't agree more, Helen. Thank you for your insight. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, genius. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you were here for that. Thanks for sharing. So smart. <laughs> um. And they also said the number of stabs wasn't the only concerning detail. The marks on his wrists and ankles indicated that he wasn't attacking Susan when he was killed. He was lying on his back, tied to the bed. He had ligature marks on his arms and legs, and of his 193 stab wounds, only two were on his back. Yeah. So he had to witness every single one until he died. Great. Great. Neil Davis argued that the number clearly indicated a woman who had endured years of abuse and who had feared for her life. That was the mark of a woman who had had enough. The defense also claimed that the marks on his wrists were made from tying straps on his wrist to drag him out of the house and into the kitchen. And I'm like, what kind of like pulley and lever system did he think that she rigged up to get him out of the house i like i just i just want to see this what was the um who was the physicist that made the very complex mouse traps that you would knock over dominoes and do you know who i'm talking about goldberg rube goldberg machine like oh i was like like what kind of goldberg machine of of devices <laughs> to get him out of the house but whatever so um let's see so then neil davis went on to explain that susan was clearly in a manic state she thought that jeffrey was still alive and would get up soon and would come to see the house uh, like to see that the house was filthy and would beat her for the state of things. So she did what she'd been conditioned to do. She cleaned the house so he wouldn't beat her. And she testified that happened often. Um, and Jeffrey, Jeffrey did have a prior charge of assaulting a previous girlfriend. So this defense seemed to hold some merit as a possibility. Um, the first problem for the jurors was that, there, was that there was almost no testimony corroborating anything Wright had said. One neighbor said that he'd saw Jeffrey angrily grab Susan's arm several times. A couple of friends testified that they'd noticed a black half circle under her eye, but that she quickly explained it away, claiming that Bradley had accidentally hit her with a toy. One of Wright's best friends, Jamie Darhall, said that uh, Wright seemed terrified of Jeffrey. She would always cut their afternoons short in the park, frantically saying she had to get home in time to cook dinner to avoid Jeffrey's wrath. Um, Jamie acknowledged, however, that only once did Wright mention that Jeffrey had hit her after an argument the two of them had had on his birthday. Um, I mean, once is enough. Right. Um. When Wright's mother took the stand, she said that she had seen several bruises and black eyes. She added poignantly, quote, I've heard her cry out in pain when I tried to hug her because her back was hurt so bad. Um, but like the other, she could not provide any independent evidence, such as like a medical report or any hard documentation that Wright was a battered wife. So while there was all of this 
circumstantial and the witness said dot 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 kind of evidence there was nothing hard that could corroborate anything they said right um so meanwhile um the prosecution had all of jeffrey's friends and co-workers testify that he was a gro- a great guy who'd do anything for you one friend described jeffrey and susan's marriage as very happy because you know people from the outside always know what's going on yeah uh, jeffrey's boss said the rights were a leave it to beaver family jeffrey yes. himself had added Jeffrey himself, he added, was stable and church-going and a very proud father. And if you listen to our Patreon, you know that stable and church-going and a very proud father means there's no way you could do anything wrong like have child porn on your computer. Yep. So, um... Let's see. Oh, yes. A couple of guys said that they knew Jeffrey used to have problems with drugs, but that was all in the past. His getting married had, quote, changed his life for the positive. Um, and so you apparently don't need to have empirical, scientific, or documented evidence of being happy. Just if yeah. you have a bunch of men who say that you're happy, then juries believe that. Mm-hmm. So Kelly Siegler also right because you're a so, straight white man. How could you be unhappy? Right. So Kelly Siegler also turned the tables on Susan, badgering her in her cross examination about those two months that she spent as a topless dancer, suggesting that she was a sexual sadist who loved to practice bondage and tease her husband with candle wax. Because everybody okay, knows that on. if you take your clothes hold off for money, that means immediately that, that we're going to kink shame you and that also you murder people. Like, I don't first understand all, this progression. First of all, oh my God, I'm about to fucking go off like a firework. People that are into BDSM are not murderers. What the fuck? <laughs> it's know. like, oh, you you like to be tied up and have candle wax poured on you, so you must like to stab people too. Also, what? <laughs> also, just because you like to be naked or have been paid to be naked, you might not have even liked it. Doesn't mean. You're into BDSM or kill people. Like none of these things. Those are a Venn diagram. There are three independent circles that have no connecting points. Oh my God. I, oh, that makes me so mad. I cannot believe that. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, um, what did you say to get him undressed? What did you say to him to get him undressed, to get him nude, to get him up on the bed? And what did you say to him as you tied up his hands so tight there to the bed as you made love to him, Mrs. Wright? That's the direct quote from the transcript. Um, and she was just getting started. She laughed like First she. Of all, did she really tie him up with neckties? Did you say? She it didn't say. Um. I'm just saying so. if they were using if they were using neckties, like they weren't they weren't you doing that on on the reg because that will ruin your tie. Right. 
if they're doing it on the reg, they have they have there's equipment. Right. <laughs> um so as Susan explained that um he had forced himself on top of her, but she was able to grab a knife and knee Jeffrey in the groin and push him off of her. The prosecutor laughed in her face. And this is a woman. Like, the prosecution was a woman who laughed at her and said, um, you managed to stab a guy who outweighs you by 100 pounds and who was so much stronger than you. And Mm -hmm. when you stabbed him the 56th or the 89th time or the 158th time, was your arm getting tired? Like... I understand that you're a prosecutor, but you don't also have to be patronizing. Yeah. Well, but, you know, here's the thing. Like, they do that. They do it all the time. I know they do. This but is, it's again... usually, it's, it's more, I, I guess people see it as more egregious because she was a woman talking to a woman. I don't know. Yeah. I just. I mean, it's like the prosecutors and the Adnan Saeed. I will always go back to the Adnan Saeed case where they're like, you stole from the church offering, so you must be a murderer. Right. Yep. Those two things are the same. Yep. Um, so Kelly Siegler simply, um, and then just kind of just poked fun at almost Susan Wright's statements that she was in a daze or a fog in the days after killing um, Jeffrey. She said that Susan said she was so traumatized. She didn't even know what she was doing. Um, And Kelly Siegler said, you knew exactly what you were doing. You're attempting to cover up a murder. Um, So Siegler noted that a few days after the killing, Wright had shown up at the constable's office to ask for a protective order against Jeffrey. I mentioned that. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. She had told the const. Oh, I- that's me repeating stuff. Um, so why then the, the the prosecution asked, didn't you just go ahead and admit that you stabbed him to death right there in self defense? Were you trying to send the police down a rabbit trail with a request for a protective order, hoping they would think that he disappeared? Um, this actually, to me, is the thing that I almost stand on as the in, on the fact that she was in a dissociative state. I that's because, I agree. Like I really think because she, there there was a really good strong possibility that the police were going to want to come to our house. Yeah, at that point, and for whatever reason they didn't. But that was a very real possibility, and no person that's like, well, I just buried my husband in the backyard, and my house is all bloody. Let me go talk to the police about a restraining order. Right. I agree. Because what? They're going to want to see if he's there in the home, especially if they're going to issue an arrest warrant. The first place they're going to go to is his house. Even though she said he wasn't there, she may not, he may have come back. She doesn't know. Right. And that's kind of where I, that's why I kind of aligned And if he was leading her, then it's a crime scene. Right. That's kind of why I aligned that she, like while this was yes a thank you doctor know it all overkill totally. like i do think that this was a true case of snapped into a dissociative yeah. state it you know in all a, of my a, psychology training i don't think it's an either or situation in this particular no. situation i think it's a no, both end you know yeah it could it, it's possible for it to be overkill and for whatever it, and for her to also be in a dissociative state and maybe 
you know, maybe she has other underlying issues that make it more likely for her to fall into a dissociative state that have nothing to do with the abuse, you know? Right. Um, so people are pretty, Susan, some people are predisposed to that. So Susan just said, I couldn't even begin to handle that in my head. There was no way my brain could even, cause was even processing that to me. It was real that Jeffrey had left right after we'd argued. Um, but Siegler noted that after the murder, while Wright's children stayed at Cindy's home, Wright ripped up parts of the bloody carpet, attempted to scrub bloodstains off the floor with with bleach, dragged the blood-soaked mattress to the backyard, and painted the blood-splattered walls. Wright said she cleaned the house only because she believed Excuse Jeffrey was still me. alive. You just committed the cardinal sin. Blood-spattered. Sorry, that was me misreading. That was not even typed wrong. That's just me being tired. Okay pterodactyl noises i don't it doesn't actually bother me at all like i don't give a fuck if it if it i say it wrong really or not bothers it just bothers me. you I don't so know why. <laughs> um there's literally said, no reason why that should bother me but it does right i had to clean the house it was dirty and jeff was already going to be so angry when he came home that i had to make the house perfect so he wouldn't be angrier at me well, Siegler asked, why did she drive to a nursery and buy several bags of topsoil, which she poured over Jeffrey's grave to keep him covered? I thought I had to weigh him down because I was afraid he was going to get up, Wright said, and I knew that when he got up, he was going to be very angry. Um, and so this is when Siegler gave this really disgusted look and shook her head, and she said, "In one of those days in your lucid moment, one of those days in your lucid moments, when you weren't in the fog, what were you going to do with your husband laying there in your patio where you were raising your d children did come up again someday and put him somewhere else. So on March 3rd, 2004, um, after more than five hours of deliberations, the jury convicted her of murder. She showed little reaction to the guilty verdict. She was sentenced the following day. Prosecutors were hoping for at least a 55 year sentence. Um, while Wright's attorney, argued for probation for the client. So the Senate, the jury sentence right to 25 years in prison. Mm -hmm. Let's see March 3rd, 2004. That was the, my sophomore year of high school. The day after my birthday, sophomore year. What was I doing sophomore year of high school around my, I birthday? was pregnant and on bed rest. It was not a sophomore in high school though. Um, I was just being a dick and probably reeked of body odor because puberty was not nice to me. That's hot. And came late. Um, so, uh, let's see. Brian Weiss had sat through much of the trial um, as part of his second job. He provides commentary for a Houston television station about pro high-profile trials. And he found himself outraged by, outraged by the prosecution's portrayal of Wright and what he called, quote, her blatant attempts to mislead the jury with myths, misconceptions, and stereotypes about battered women. But he was mm -hmm. almost as concerned about the way Wright's defense had handled the case. After his conviction, he persuaded her, her and her family to let him file an appeal. He quickly learned that 10 months before the trial... Oh, I'm surprised this wasn't covered in the movie. So 10 months before the trial, a detective from the sheriff's office had taken a sworn statement from Misty McMichael, who's now married to... Oh, wait, no, it's later something that I wanted to write. But this is important. Um, so this woman, uh, Misty McMichael, is married to um, a Chicago Bears football star, Steve McMichael. 
1989, she'd worked as a dancer at the Colorado Bar and Grill in Houston. And mm-hmm. it was there that she met Jeffrey Wright, whom she called a big time spender. And they started dating and were soon engaged. She moved with Jeffrey to Austin, where she stayed with him and his parents, stayed with his parents. Um, and she lived, oh, he stayed with his parents. She lived in a small apartment. Initially, she said he was charming, but he eventually became abusive, especially after he'd been drinking. Misty said at first he verbally abused her, and then he threw her down the apartment spiral staircase. He backhanded her across the face, and in one violent episode at a bar, he swiped a glass on the table, breaking it and sending a shard into Misty's chin. So she filed a police report, and he was arrested for assault with bodily bodily injury. Mm-hmm. So she later explained to the new attorney that she asked police to drop the charges because she feared that Jeffrey would do something worse to her after he got out of jail. But even after that episode, he continued to abuse her. And when he would leave her at night to go out, she suspect, and she suspected to meet other women, he'd lock her inside the apartment. Um, like they had one of the deadbolts that needed a key from both sides and he would take the key with him. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, So finally she said she escaped and fled back to Houston and he eventually found her, but by then she had another boyfriend. So he didn't bother again. Um, So here Misty appeared to be a woman who could corroborate Wright's claims of abuse and had police statements to back up that she had filed for abuse even. Um, And one who in Weiss's words showed Jeffrey to be a quote, serial abuser with a Jekyll Hyde personality, but Wright's original defense attorneys later claimed that they hadn't been able to contact Misty quote. I didn't know what she would say on the stand since she did not return my calls after I left numerous messages. Davis said in a hearing related to Wright's appeal. They also admitted that they were worried that the jury would not believe Missy Misty because of her questionable character since there are allegations of drug use and because she had been an exotic dancer. Mm. Uh-huh. So Weiss, however, well, said, that. yeah, Weiss was like, well, she was really easy to get on the phone without any trouble. And he Can said, we quote, just, like, stop make, to saying people, I'm sorry. Can we just stop saying people are bad people because of whatever job they do? Right. Unless their job is like literally mob hitman. Right. But, like, also, I'm sorry. Assholes are jerking off to porn every day, every minute. So you can no longer criminalize people who work in the sex industry. Like, it it can't just be convenient for you. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, So... Anyway, um, he said, quote, sure, she had baggage, but she should not, that should not have prevented the jury from hearing her story. Um, so Weiss was equally flabbergasted that Wright's attorney had not called a single expert on domestic violence to the stand who might've been able to explain to the jury exactly what had led Susan to commit such a crime uh, or such an act of violence. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. When most people read about a woman killing her abusive husband, the first question they usually ask is why did the woman not just pick up and leave? Did she really feel trapped or did all the trauma she'd been forced to endure send her spiraling into some sort of mental breakdown? 
did her simply short circuit did her mind simply short circuit because of the violence not unlike that of a soldier who surf- suffers from post-traumatic stress davis said that he didn't want to overwhelm the jury with too much expert testimony um he was like he said you know there's only so much psychobabble a jury can handle his co-counsel ward added um that he was not impressed with experts there are experts on how to sharpen a pencil battered woman syndrome to me was not rocket science oh my god well get wrecked so no one asked you to get an expert on how to sharpen a fucking pencil we actually get an expert to get your client off that's what you're getting fucking paid for weiss claims that the young lawyers could not have been more mistaken Across the United States, he noted, courts have consistently held that expert testimony is necessary to defend battered women who kill their husbands. Through such testimony, rarely, though such testimony rarely leads to acquittals, it does give juries a chance to understand such women and perhaps sentence them to less time in prison or recommended probation. Indeed, Weiss declared, without such testimony in the right case, Siegler was given, quote, free reign to perpetuate myths about severely abused women, such as her frequent statements that Wright could have grabbed her children and left Jeffrey whenever she wanted. Quote, attempting to defend this kind of case without a battered woman expert is like doing Hamlet without Hamlet, Weiss (laughs) said. And I like that. Um, And then... They said that to Weiss, the most glaring mistake to the defense, the defense attorneys made was their refusal to call, talk to, to call Dr. Jerome Brown. Um, so Davis had right admitted to psychiatric care. Um, he'd asked Dr. Brown, a longtime Houston clinical psychologist who testified extensively for both prosecution and defense in a variety of criminal cases to examine her oh oh i thought you meant in this case i was like that's weird no just like but that way he was trustworthy because it's not like he only ever worked for defense attorneys he he could just give kind of an overview um, unbiased overview of what happened um right wouldn't make eye contact with brown she sighed and broke into tears Quote, her overall presentation was a distinctly dreamy, drifting, unfocused quality that clearly suggested she was somewhere else, Brown later said. When she did talk, she spoke in a flat voice that seemed to be in what Brown called a dissociated state. Huh. Huh. If only we'd said that 30 minutes ago and neither one of us are psychologists. So weird. Yeah. Quote, as if she was up in the air looking down on herself, talking about the things she was doing. When Brown asked her about Jeffrey, she became terrified, telling her that her husband was looking for her and her children. She wept as she talked about the way he had punched and kicked her. She mentioned how she tried to go away in her mind on those occasions when he would rape her. Jeffrey, quote, had embedded himself in her psyche in a way that made him bigger than life, Brown said. He was very, very powerful and very, very threatening. So gently, Brown asked her about the night that she killed Jeffrey. According to his notes, Susan talked about the way Jeffrey had shouted at her and shaken her after she told him he needed help and how he'd forced her to have sex with her with him. Then Wright told him Jeffrey went to sleep. It was only after he was asleep, she said, that she went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife, and started stabbing him. Wright told Brown the same story a month later. Brown assumed he would be testifying at her trial and planned to tell the jury that Susan essentially had snapped, quote, 
I think she'd been able to tolerate the abuse as long as Jeffrey directed it on her. But when the abuse started spilling over to Brody, she lost it. On the night she stabbed her husband, she had some kind of mental break, and she stayed that way for for days, probably weeks. I don't want to say she became completely psychotic, but she drifted in and out of reality. She didn't have any yeah. real idea of what she was doing or why. And it's like, you and I came to that conclusion and didn't need psychology degrees. Nope. So, like, maybe they should have called an expert test, like, witness to explain this to the jury so they could file it away as pertinent information because right? the, the jury has Weird. to use what information they have man when i grow up i'm gonna be a whole jury yeah Everybody you are get off I'm believing you <laughs> um but the day before jury selection davis called brown and said he'd read his notes he informed brown that susan had never told him or ward about jeffrey falling asleep she had told them a story about Jeffrey wielding a knife and shouting, die, bitch. Davis told Brown he would not be testifying. He and Ward wanted to go with her second version of events, which obviously gave them a chance to make a better argument that she faced imminent harm and killed Jeffrey in self-defense. Okay. Brown replied that he could explain to a jury the discrepancy in Wright's stories. He said that when he was seeing her in the weeks immediately after the killing, she was still so traumatized that she was actually unable to recall everything that had happened. Maybe he conjectured her mind could not yet handle the scene of Jeffrey trying to stab her, but gradually as time passed, more details came back to her. What happened to her was not much different from a case of someone who suffered severe sexual abuse as a child, but who didn't have any memories of the abuse until years later. Brown said that Wright's telling one story about the killing than telling another was not unreasonable from a psychological standpoint. Right. But, Dave, but Davis said that presenting both stories of the trial would be a deal breaker. And as long as he didn't call Brown to the stand, the psychologist's conversation with Wright would remain priv privileged and Siegler would never have to find out about it. Quote, to this day, I wouldn't have called Brown at her trial, Davis said. Okay. So he never learned. I hope he has been disbarred, like, honestly. But yeah. in the process, he lost the only qualified expert who had sat down with Susan Wright and who was prepared to tell a jury that she was not a cold-blooded killer. Quote, basically, Susan had been left to fend for herself, Weiss said. She didn't have a chance in hell of winning her very, in, at her very own trial. So in 2009, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals granted Wright a new sentencing hearing after determining that Wright's, quote, counsel rendered ineffective assistance during the punishment phase of the trial in 2004. Yeah. What's uh, interesting is in the movie, they don't have, there's no punishment phase. They come back with, they're like, guilty and 25 years. And I was like, that's not how that goes. Right. It's also strange to me that the sentencing happened the next day, like, because there's usually time mm -hmm. that passes, you know? So according to um, evidence from the 2010 punishment trial, it was shown that the prosecution's theory that Jeff was tied to the bed was not supported by the medical examiner who excavated the body. The medical examiner testified that Jeff had a significant amount of cocaine in his body the night he died, so much that Jeff's body had not metabolized all the cocaine. The cocaine evidence supported the defense's assertion that Jeff was intoxicated the night of his death when he came home from a boxing class and punched his son. 
Jeff also had several knife wounds on his hands, forearms, back, and the backs of his legs, indicating defensive wounds consistent with being tied to bed. So yeah. on November 20th, 2010, Wright had her sentence reduced to 20 years in prison, five years less than her original sentence. Wright has been el eligible for parole since February 28th, 2014 at the age of 38. She was denied parole on June 12th, 2014 and again on July 24th, 2017. But she was approved parole on July 2nd, 2020. So on Wednesday, December 30th, 2020, she was released on parole at the age of 44. Okay. Also, she's only 44. To, like, yeah. the distance in this case feels like she must be so much older, but she's not that much older than me, you know? She's not. She's only six years older than me. Which means she's only 16 years older than me. <laughs> Aaron's going to kill me. <laughs> you know, you have like a really punchable face sometimes. I do. Mm. And you can punch me in uh, two weeks. Hooray! Hooray. Hooray. Um. So yeah, that is the awful story of Susan Wright. And I don't, I don't know what I believe. I'm on board. I'm on board with the abused spouse story. The most. I am too. I, I think it I am too. Out. I just, it does. I just, you know, it's just, ugh. it's so unfortunate. You know, battered women's syndrome is like a real thing. And so when I say like, oh, he didn't deserve to die that, that way. I don't mean that like oh, she's a horrible person for having this snapped and killed him. Right. Um, if, she, if it was really bad or women's syndrome, she wouldn't have been able to help that. Also, right. it's really horrible to beat your wife. So, yeah. Um, again, just like not super into anyone in this story. Now, I have a question. It's a legitimate question, and you can help guide me in this. Mm -hmm. So I have recently read it as abuse to spouse syndrome. Mm -hmm. Is it, which one is the accurate one to say that is, or like, a, a, or abuse partner syndrome? Like, how do we say this in a way that, because I you know in general, because I know in general, it is women who are the yeah. recipient of the most of the abuse, but. When it came out, I think it was called Better Wives Syndrome. Better Women's Syndrome, yeah. That's what I know it as, um. But, I mean, you're probably correct that it is now probably, like, I mean, if you're going to, like, be all-encompassing, then it's intimate partner violence. There um, we go. Thank you. I was like, I know partner. that I still don't know the actual terminology, and I want to get to the real one, and mm -hmm. I figured you yeah. would know that. Yeah, that's the one. That's why you exist to keep me, your resident white guy, on track, because I offend everybody every day, and I don't mean to, and I'm happy to unlearn and relearn that's every day. <laughs> what i do um, goodness well, what a story yeah well you want to tell the people where they can find us um you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash lifetime sentence again you can head over there right now to find the link to our discord click it to join us um you can find us on instagram at lifetime sentence on twitter at life sentence pod you mm -hmm. can shoot us an email at 
podcast at lifetimesentence.com. Mm-hmm. You can find our website and our merch at lifetimesentence.com. We dropped new merch this week. We did. Uh, and we've got more stuff coming. And then you can, of course, join us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. Yes, please do. It's so much fun. We got to yell about Josh Duggar. We're finally ahead on Patreon stories. It's been a long time, y'all. I had to bullet journal so that we could get ahead. Like I had to bullet journal sure. what I wanted to do for the next few weeks. Um mm-hmm. But I'm so glad I discovered bullet journaling. Like I'm not a cutesy bullet journal. There's nothing pretty about mine, but it. I have been wanting to try that. Um, I took a couple of courses on a virtual learning platform that does not sponsor us, but sponsors lots of content creators. So I will not give them free advertising, but if they want to sponsor us, um, you can uh, email mm-hmm. us at podcast at lifetime and we're happy to promote you. Um, it's true. <laughs> so anyway I, I took a intro to bullet journaling class there and it just made so much sense to me and it really has helped me be a lot more productive um Ooh, i might have to borrow your login to that website oh uh, i myself. gave you my we have it together like do we i gave it to you a long time ago but i'll resend it to you yeah oh god well i've slept since then well how dare you what is wrong with you don't, don't you lot, remember though. every conversation we've ever had categorically saved in your brain that you can just draw Not even up a little. At? Um, tell me what you're reading. Ooh, um, right now I am reading um, The Hunting Wives. It's about a Southern group of ladies who go out. I'm afraid you're going to stab yourself in the brain. Please stop doing that. Oh, uh-huh. no, it's, a, it's fine. It's a palette knife. It's blunt. That will fit up your nose if you push hard enough. Let's try. <laughs> Ew, no. Um, it's about like, okay, this lady, she moves to like a small southern town. And there's like a group of like the elite um, people that go out um, on the weekends and they go shooting skeet. But they also then go out to parties and they, um, you know, do... Um, kind of wild things there's like a, a thing going on with the high school boys and the moms so that's weird um yeah. we'll see but it's gotten great reviews so good yeah what are you reading oh and i'm still trying to finish you love me <sighs> joe goldberg well i um am starting tonight i am picking up the um a memoir that was sent to me to preview by um do you remember when we were younger there was a movie called searching for bobby fisher and it was about a young um chess prodigy um who wanted to like who was inspired by bobby fisher okay so that was actually a memoir written by a man named fred waitskin um so a couple years ago he had his agent reached out to me and i got to review his memoir that came out a couple years ago well he just put out another memoir well it's coming out this summer but they sent me a review copy um and so i am reading that tonight and then i'm going to get into daisy jones and the six. Oh, it's such a good book you're gonna love it i'm also reading rilke's book of hours and i did get a new um arc this week and i haven't picked it up yet but it's called the gunkle and i'm very excited about it that sounds like fun yeah doesn't it? I love that. I'll send you a picture of the cover. It's super cute. 
my favorite podcast is releasing my favorite reading podcast is releasing in a couple of weeks her summer reading guide and so i'm holding out to Ooh. see what she's recommending this summer to see what well I'm the new riley sager drops this summer the new alex michelides drops this summer um those are two that are high up on my list um the maidens and survive the night um so i'll be definitely be checking those out i did also just put in my book of the month order and i again i got two books because i can't help myself so i got um imposter syndrome and the last thing he told me so mm -hmm. all right well i'm excited to hear back about the things you're reading especially this one with the moms and the high school boys and I love yeah. that kind of drama as long as it stays in a book. Like, please don't bring that into real life. Yes. Please <laughs> keep it in the book. Please. Keep it fiction, y'all. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Um, pick up your new shirt. The, your all yes. the things we said shirt at lifetimesense.com. Yes. Um, and until next time, please don't forget to eat your vegetables charge your phone <laughs> bye bye <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> look at my hair <laughs>